David Grush coming out is actually to hide some of this stuff that's coming out with Antarctica, or it's happening at the same time to have more of a, or of a disclosure, depending on which camp you're in. What we found was that this craft was human operated, but with, in conjunction with other beings. What is this base and what is it, what is it really trying to do, right? So he said that this ice cube uh, base is the world's largest neutrino detector, which seems random and bizarre if you're just hearing that outside of his description, you know? This thing, it, it literally expands energy so fast and creates resonant energy and a scalar type energy that they didn't really understand. I'm listening to you talk and you're, you're talking about things melding together. And I'm thinking about the Philadelphia experiment. I'm just like, this is, this is taking right. it to the next level, you know? Hi everyone. Welcome back to the metaphysical podcast for another episode in this marathon of a deep dive into the secrets of Antarctica from Atlantis and arc of Gabriel rumors to UFO secret military operations and Nazis. We've covered a lot so far, but today we're going to get into some of the claims made by whistleblowers like Eric Hecker, who worked at an Antarctic base and later came forward with testimony about the surprising hazards, covered up truths and technology most people wouldn't believe are really located there or believe actually existed. What happens when your superiors or the world's government tell you one thing about peace and scientific collaboration, but your eyes show you a world of suppressed danger, otherworldly weapons, and shady experiments? Well, we're about to talk about all of it. So join remote viewer John Vivanco and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a show that's going to be out of this world. If you're listening or you're watching us on a video platform, The Metaphysical Show, make sure you like and subscribe. Make sure you give us a five-star review. It really helps us when you do that. And make sure you hit that bell for future episodes because we will be here. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, there's a lot to talk about. We're not even sure how long this this episode's going to be or if we're going to have to split it up into two because the whistleblower Eric Hecker has is such rich content in and of itself. I know it's like some of these episodes are like infinite, like eight hour, 10 hour episodes, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we were kind of thinking the Mount Shasta uh, series that we did was going to be like five episodes or something it ended up turning into like 10 because it's just so much to cover. Right. And Antarctica is, is not quite as rich, but it's 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 there. I mean, there's a lot going on. No Lemurians, unfortunately, although if there are, we're just unaware. So we'll uh, we'll leave we'll leave that one open. Um, we did find some find some really interesting stuff, though, in the last episode where we covered this strange octagonal, I don't know, hidden base or ship or craft. That was weird, man. And I was like, I'm still blown away like, by that. Like, I'm thinking about it all the time. Like, man, what the heck? And like, you know, the, just the the data that that your remote viewers got about, you know, the reasoning behind this and how it looks at uh, genetic material and stuff was fascinating. I know, but, you know, I mean, that's like the thing that we always see, though, is that that's, that's aside from mining and getting materials for themselves, um, Earth stuff, the other side is genetic. Like they're yeah. like, it's, it's just, that's what we see all the time, especially when you get to those 
renditions of beings that were involved with this cube there in Antarctica. Those types of beings always seem to be really, really interested in the in the genetics of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it actually like it makes you wonder whether or not humans have it wrong. Right. Because here we are trying to create the next best computing like technology, some type of computing technology where right. these aliens are coming in right. that already have it and they're looking for genetic biomaterial, which is like, well, that just like think about that for a minute, like. I think we've been told for a really long time that, oh, bioorganisms are so slow, they're kind of pathetic and all of this stuff. When in reality, it's like the, the most advanced technology potentially, right? Right. I mean, like when you take a step back and think about how advanced the human body is and what it can do and what we're not even aware that it can do and how it heals itself and how it grows and, and, and how humans can create more humans and all of this stuff like it's so amazing but we just kind of take it for granted and here we are trying to to create transhumanism future and we don't even understand our own body yeah a good point really good point yeah and that's Weird. that's what we see i mean yeah we do have this ai construct it's like that's already solved for a lot of these beings um incredible technology incredible ai but at a certain point there's this biological interface into it which is the main factor when you get right down to it you know speaking of <clears throat> i think just really interesting technology we've got this whistleblower eric hecker who appeared recently uh at the national press club in washington dc in, in a conference that uh dr stephen greer set up right and uh, greer. john you you know, you know a little bit about yeah, Dr. Greer has been, he's been in the game for a while. Um, a long, uh, yeah, this is like probably the 1990s ish, maybe even in the eighties. I'm not sure. Um, so he <clears throat> created first off was uh, CSETI center for the study of extraterrestrial intelligence, where right. they would do what he called CE five uh, mm. protocol where, yes where they would call in craft so that they, they would have a close encounter of the fifth kind and the fifth kind is human contact human interaction mm -hmm. and so he created that and you know the people would go out with these sort of meditative processes to call in alien ships and then they would have experiences they would see things you know he's, he's got a many years of documenting that stuff. And then he formed the disclosure project later on which was to gather those people that want to be whistleblowers and try to institute some form of protection through government means. So he's been working with the government in order to do that. Um, and so his disclosure project and the conferences that he have as well, has as well as the documentaries has been a huge thrust, a huge boon for the UFO disclosure uh, area in general, because he's really one of the big ones that's pushing it and getting protection for some of these people and then presenting the information. Yeah. And they know like there's only a certain amount of people that you can go to if you want to come out as a whistleblower. Right. I mean, there's not Dr. Greer is probably one of the more credible, I guess, like folks right. that organize these things. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. Um, so, I mean, you know, see the thing he's got a DR appended to his name there. So. Right. People look at that as being an authority in and of itself. If he was just Stephen Greer, 
No, not not nearly as much. I guarantee it. People look so, to these authority figures as being something important. Maybe we should just put doctor in front of our name and fake it until we make it. <laughs> then people will listen to us more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's a good point, though. Like there, that is really valued above other things in society in, in a kind of a weird way, because I've just I've met some really shady doctors yeah. who like they're shysters more than they are like actual doctors, but they have they have the doctorate so they can call right. themselves a doctor. Right. So you do have to kind of be discerning when it comes to that stuff. But Doc, uh, Eric Hecker released some bombshells in this press conference that we're going to go over in this in this or these episodes. And I kind of wanted to show a short clip from Eric just to kind of set the stage for the discussion we're about to have. And so you all at home can see him if you're watching and you can hear him if you're listening. Um, Lindsay's about to pull that up. We've got a little uh, a short video from Twitter that we can watch here about the base that he was uh, referring to in his accounts. The ice cube neutrino detector is presented as a passive listening device for the purposes of the science as presented. But I'm going to skip right through the chase, folks. Uh, I have provided documentation that proves that the 5,160, what they call DOMs, that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at 2,047 volts each. That gives us a long list of things to consider. It is effectively a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform that I will uh, list rapidly a few things that it can do. Vehicle detection. We're learning that these off-world craft on-world craft, ours or other nations, are also emitting neutrinos. So this makes the South Pole Station effectively an air traffic control station for this new level of equipment that nobody's discussing. In addition to the ability to detect neutrinos and the exotic vehicles, I provide a documentation that shows that this is also a system for faster than light communications. In the past, Gary McKinnon has hacked NASA found the off-world fleet, the list of captains, and it's apparent that if we have faster-than-light vehicles moving throughout the system, we're going to need faster-than-light communications. This is that facility. Unfortunately, I have other bad news. The season that I was there, 2010 to 2011, we converted from uh, construction to operations and maintenance in both the elevated station and the detector array. Unfortunately, when they first fired it up, that was when we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand. There's two incidental shots before they were able to target it correctly. This is an earthquake generating device as well. This is the weapons of war that we have to deal with now and what Raytheon's hiding. There's an ELF system at the South Pole Station that when I was arrived, I was told it was off, dismantled, and completely defunct. In my work, I will rapidly just tell you, I had to figure out the circuitry for certain other repairs and I found that this system is, in fact, completely energized, up and running, and being utilized with the other systems for nefarious purposes as well. The Atmospheric Research Observatory is uh, in what we call the clean air sector. I witnessed myself a very powerful green laser shooting out of the top of this facility into the cosmos. This, I believe, is a secondary form of long-range communications and or a defense system. I am not saying that we need to be scared of anything that's out there, but please understand the military-industrial complex is happy to invest all of your money in alleviating their fears. Okay. 
Man, even that was like a minute clip. And there's so much in that just alone, that minute clip. I mean, we've got green laser beams shooting into the cosmos. We have uh, earthquake machines, direct energy weapons. Uh, these are big claims and uh, some big businesses or corporations were brought up uh, in there. He's who he's accusing of basically having this knowledge and keeping it from the public. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I've always thought, always felt not that we've looked into any of this stuff that that whole military industrial complex, in other words, the, the companies that create the stuff that are so compartmentalized that nobody really focuses on are the ones that are, have a ton of control and a ton of capabilities beyond our own military. I mean, we, we the military is, is probably nothing when it comes to these companies, you know? I mean, they have the technology. They're the ones developing it. That's true. And and also, you know, we're, we're not talking about stupid people that work at these corporations. They can get a compartmentalized task and look at that and then say, well, hey, what do you think it is that these guys are trying to make with this one little piece that they asked us to develop? And they're going to come up with theories on what those are and and figure out how to utilize them in a bigger in a bigger organism or, you know, technology. Yeah, exactly. And and the ones that are, you know, in a sense, they are creating the idea, at least in the counter conspiracy culture of the breakaway civilizations, you know, you know, hey, we got all this technology, we, we know how to do things, we have like, connections with other beings in the universe. Let's go make another society. A colony somewhere. Right. Which is which is like probably much more probable than I think the average person, you know, allows themselves to believe. Oh yeah, absolutely is. I mean, geez, it's like, you know, right now we have we have disclosures slowly leaking out, coming out about the tic-tac. Man, that isn't even the tiniest tip of the iceberg of this it's stuff. Laughable. Because when you get into UFO researchers that have been doing this since, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, man, all that stuff's out there. It's been out there for a long time. It's easily correlated information between people all across the world on what is going on, who's been involved. And if you don't actually look into it and take the time to research this stuff on a deep, deep level, you're just going to follow what the government, what the media tells you about it. But I'm telling you, it's like way, 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 way beyond what most people like know in their daily lives. Well, and and uh, you guys, uh, if you're if you're wondering if we're aware of the recent whistleblower David Grush, we are. And in our next episode, we're probably or in an episode really soon, we're going to um, detail some of that stuff. So um, we may even publish that before this episode airs. So just if you haven't seen that, definitely go back and see that or or get ready for it because we're going to be coming out with it pretty soon. What's really interesting to me is that the the news programs that are picking this stuff up are very serious about it now because yeah be, well, well because of his background really right his background yeah. right and and i'd say like five years ago any news story if this guy came out five years ago he would be laughed at in the news but now they're taking this stuff seriously because of the pentagon releases which is a can of worms we're going to open up in that episode because yeah. talking through the psyops or the clustered psyops that actually are here 
it's worth kind of discussing because like why now and and you know it is very also very interesting i might add that david grush came out at a time very close to when eric hecker came out to talk about what was going on down in antarctica at the national press club so you know there are some people theorizing out there that david grush coming out is actually to hide some of this stuff that's coming out with antarctica or it's happening at the same time to have more of a or of a disclosure depending on which camp you're in um, I do think it's good that some information comes out. I do think it's a limited hangout, though. Um, Eric Hecker, though, I will say some of this stuff that he's come out with is, uh, in terms of disclosure, some of the most exciting stuff that we've seen in many years of of disclosure because it's clear that he's not happy with how he and his teammates were treated. And it seems like, he's really trying to expose this stuff because corporations shouldn't be putting people in positions that they were in because some of it was highly dangerous. Yeah, incredibly. And, and this is like, where do you ever hear about whistleblowers out of Antarctica? Right. I mean, you know, he's not a high level scientist. He probably could be, but he, his position wasn't necessarily that he had access to everything. And so where do you hear, like, you don't hear this stuff. You hear it, you know, in the UFO UAP field, but not here. So this is why it's so fascinating. Whether he was a high level scientist or not makes no difference because this is really one of the first big level people coming out to talk about it. Well, and it's and it's it's bringing together disclosure in many different areas of disclosure. Like we're talking about fast. We're talking about physics and science, uh, otherworldly craft and and craft detection, faster than light communication. Um, green lasers that seems like an exotic technology. And then you've got uh, this technology that everybody has been made fun of over the last 20 plus years for trying to expose what HARP is doing, which is very similar to what this ice cube detector thing is, according to according to Eric Hecker, you know, and we're going to be getting into some more of this um, as we go through. But to kind of give you guys an overview of Eric Hecker, he claimed to spend 366 days at the South Pole station in 2011, and he had a key to every compartment, um, which is something nobody else had. And he talked to each department to find out what made each of the departments tick, according to him. Uh, and all of those people were experts in their field. Now, this was a job that was under Raytheon Polar Services. You know, he he went through and explained a lot about himself, where he was a, um, I don't know what you'd want, like a fire expert. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. So, he, was, he was he was a firefighter, basically. Yeah, and plumbing yeah. and heating expert. And plumbing and heating. Yeah. So, and you can imagine, I think, like why this. He spent a lot of time trying to explain why this type of a um, profession would have more access to everything um, in a place like Antarctica. And John, what do you think that that reason would be? Well, I I mean, since he's involved with the security safety of people there, that's, that was his job uh, or part of his job to be able to, I mean, look, if you get a breach or a fire or any type of, problem in the structure everybody's dead that's all there is to it and so you yeah, need it, to have people that are trained to take care of these structures in various ways 
Well, and, and I would add to that, that it's even more important to have a professional like Eric there than, than in a normal place, because we're talking about sub-zero temperatures. It's not like you can just pull out some water and put a fire out on Antarctica. You can't like what's going to happen if you do, it's going to, it's actually, that's even more catastrophic than the fire probably. And it's going to freeze right away. There's no availability for the water. So you have to use fire extinguishers and that style of putting a fire out is completely different than just normal fire from, from, you know, what I'm hearing from Eric here. Right. Basically you're smothering it with chemicals. Right. There were a bunch of fire emergencies and other emergencies often, according to him, you know, he, they would have the cryogenic facility. Um, the alarm would go off and what he said was if helium is at one fourth of a degree above Kelvin, uh, in the facility, there's like, I guess, a half million gallons of helium being stored at four degrees Kelvin. You know, stored helium at an uncontrolled release would expand at a rate of 450 to one, like basically like a hydrogen bomb going off. And it would take off a large portion of the South Pole Station if that was to happen. This is how sensitive this stuff is. That's like the public surface layer of of, of things that are down there, too. Right. It's like... What about the stuff that, that, that is hidden? I mean, there's stuff down there that is incredibly dangerous beyond that. Right. And this is, this is kind of where it gets into exactly like what you were saying. Like, why, why is this, what is this base and what is it, what is it really trying to do? Right. So he said that this ice cube uh, base is the world's largest neutrino detector, which seems random and bizarre. If you're just hearing that outside of his description, you know? 275 yep. physicists in 12 countries and 48 institutions collaborating on this science. Yeah, this is some crazy science. Like this is this is um, pretty new stuff, super cutting edge as far as the public realm of humans go. Right. And 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 it's more than one thing, right? Like he he says that it's a it's it's a neutrino detector. <clears throat> Um, but at the same time, it's the world's largest telescope, John. Right. Exactly. What the hell? Like, that's like, so this base is, is definitely accomplishing more than one, uh, more than one objective for sure. Well, the thing is with these types of technologies is that, and we've seen this with remote viewing, um, other things like this. So some scientists have an understanding of, of capturing information in a certain way. They set up a system and they find that when they implement the system, there are other variabilities that come in that they didn't know about, that it produces this or it can also do that. And it can go down these different pathways, right? And so that's, that is kind of like what this is about, this neutrino yeah. detector. There are other things like I don't think that at least people on the surface level really understood truly the whole ramification of what this thing can do. I mean, they're just, you know, I think a lot of these guys were just like, we're, we just want to um, uh, see what neutrinos do and how we can get information from them on where they came from, how they, how they, um, what direction they came from, uh, where their source point is. So we can investigate that in other ways, right? So, I mean, 
beyond that, like the system they set up does way more than just that. Exactly. Exactly. That's what he's saying. And the telescope part of this makes sense because as we pointed out in previous episodes, you know, we're talking about this area sitting on about 9,300 feet of elevation, right? It's on top of ice, 9,300 feet of elevation in the South Pole, closer, it's easier to get through a lot of the atmosphere from there and see things clearer with a telescope uh, like of that magnitude, you know? So for those of you wondering, this ice cube is about one kilometer by one kilometer by one kilometer. That's the dimensions of the array, which means that the array itself, uh, these DOMs that he's calling it, they go down. No, DOMs are um, digital optical modules, and he keeps calling them DOMs, and they go down a kilometer into the ice. Right. And so you have a neutrino that comes from space. And neutrinos are so small that sometimes they'll hit ice, sometimes they won't. And he said it was a rare event when a neutrino hit uh, a water molecule and that created a blue flash. And so they would study that blue flash and get information from it. So that's the telescope aspect. That's really, really interesting. Now that, that seems to be a very surface scientific reason for what, you know, what they're studying and, and why, especially when he starts talking about, he starts going into neutrinos a, a little bit later, right? And he says, you know, neutrinos are tiny particles, almost massless, moving close to the speed of light or faster than the speed of light, or according to faster. what he was told. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, right. That And that's where a lot of this starts to get like, wait, what? What did you say? So, he said that the purpose of the detector was to find answers and to clarify these postulations more by utilizing the DOMs underground that were wired up to the surface and information um, was processed in the ice cube lab on the surface, right? He kind of goes on to say, just trying to get to the important stuff here, that neutrinos are so small that they pass through almost everything without making contact. And just like what you said on the rare occasion, there'll be this flash of blue light creating what he said is a muon. All right. Um, that's the blue light. Each of these DOMs is not just a passive receiver, but can actually transmit up to 2047 volts per DOM, which makes the facility the world's largest phased array transmitter. So it's the world's largest multifaceted direct energy weapon system. And when the system was initially fired up, what he said in this clip is that these earthquakes um, in New Zealand actually occurred and that it was an accident. He kind of goes into next, like all of this is earthly stuff. I mean, all of this is stuff that we can imagine happening on Earth and causing like, you know, it's science that's understandable according to our current understanding of science. You know, oh, we want to we want to study these muons. He goes on to say that Gary McKinnon was the man who hacked NASA's computer system and found an off world fleet of spaceships being utilized for quite some time. He said that, remember, and then if you consider the possibility of faster than light travel, then there's the possibility of faster than light communications as well. That's crazy. That's like serious, serious disclosure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, look at Gary. That's We have a picture of Gary up. Doesn't he look a little alien? 
he does man. he does he definitely he, he was a fascinating character i mean he he literally okay so he was an it guy and what was he doing he was uh he was upset because in the period that he decided to go on a hacking spree of military and nasa computers he was upset that in britain at the time people weren't able able to pay the high cost to heat their homes so a lot of people older older folks were dying and so he was upset by this and wanted to expose free energy that the military had free energy so that was like his basic intention for doing what he did which was incredible so he got i think he he accessed about 100 297 computers or around 200 computers um and basically at one point on a NASA system, he was poking around and he saw two folders on a desktop. He opened a folder up, opened a picture up, and there was a big, huge cigar shaped craft, right? In a photograph above earth, right? Now in, a, in the uh, uh, other folder, it was the same picture, but with the ship removed. That's when he got shut down. That's when they found out about him and they came to arrest him. So yeah, Gary, so we looked into Gary McKinnon and his whole you know, claim there, which, which absolutely was true. He didn't see what he saw. You're he, saying he did see what he saw? He, he did see what he, claimed? what he claims to have seen. Right, right, exactly. He is not telling a lie. He's truthful about that. And then, so we decided to dig into what that craft was. And what we found was that this craft was human operated, but with in conjunction with other beings and this craft was somewhat of a deep space type craft and it was like a hand-me-down from another civilization other species to um humans and so the humans were basically at that point they knew how to operate it but they were using it in conjunction with these other beings and so it was like some older type of technology that these beings decided to hand down to the humans to use for deeper space travel to back engineer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm just, you know, telling you what the remote viewing data was on this. Like, You're just the messenger. Like don't, don't shoot the messenger. Exactly. I mean, that's that was kind of crazy. Um yeah, and it's funny too yeah, I mean, that like it, it makes so much sense. Like, oh, here we have us uh, an old spacecraft, a hand-me-down spacecraft that they're like, we'll just give you a little bit of this information so you can you can you know reverse engineer it. We don't want you you know getting too out of control here. Well, that's the thing. It's like you know, like okay, we're making a trip to Earth. Ah, these humans will trade uh, the their genetics for any type of junky technology we have. Just you know, bring the stuff that we don't use anymore and we'll trade it for like access to their race, their race's yeah. genetics. Yeah. We'll be able to abduct hundreds of thousands of more people this year if we give right. them this technology. This is the broken refrigerator off the ship. Just give them this. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. I think, you know, he goes on to say, Eric, he says, if you, if you consider the possibility of faster than light travel, then there's the possibility of faster than light communication. So he he goes on to say, if a ship is out in 
in space, traveling that fast, you need some way to communicate with the crew. That's where the ice cube comes in with the neutrino detector capabilities. Dang. Yeah, what's going on there, right? It's like begs the question, if this is truly the case, what is Antarctica for at this place? What, what is this all about? I mean, is this to communicate with these ships as Hecker intimated there or basically said? Yeah. Right. I mean, come and, on. For, and for everyone at home wondering, we keep bringing up this ice cube thing. That is the name of the base where all of this stuff is going on. The ice cube, um, ice cube detector, the ice cube base. This is the neutrino detector slash largest telescope in the world slash, you know, <clears throat> ELF area where they have the extremely low frequencies that are detecting different things. Um, so faster than light comms are required for any space faring species. Hecker says the facility is in the South pole in Antarctica, and it can provide long range comms, highly advanced ships with exotic propulsion systems, whether from this planet or not can discharge neutrinos. And those are very microscopic particles, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we looked at that, but you know, whenever you want to get into it, we looked at, we looked at like, what is the purpose of this facility outside of just the blanket statements? Yeah, we will get into that shortly. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's crazy. So, now he kind of goes into highly advanced ships with exotic, it calls it exotic propulsion systems, whether from this planet or not, can discharge neutrinos. Since the time of NASA, when trying to figure out how to get lunar module on the moon, he goes into this. This is really interesting. So when they were trying to get a lunar module onto the moon, they... He describes it as they came to find that their calculations for gravity were, were off. They decided to enter and exit from the South Pole because it's easier from there than any other location when going to the moon or anywhere else. Gravity-wise, John. That is a weird thing. That's a curious thing. And that, you know, I think I mentioned it last episode or one of the episodes where I, I want it's got to do with the rotational point. It's got to it's got to got to do with the rotational point of the earth <laughs> where it's, it's, it's creating less gravity. I don't know. I mean, that's the only thing I think of because this is actually the first time I've heard of this. It's something that we have to look into if I can figure out a tasking for it. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it is through the ice cube neutrino that we, we look into that. You know, but the, but the thing is, is that, OK, so where are the um, the bases in Antarctica where there are these rockets, if that's what we're talking about here? Right. So when we get to the when we get to UFO anti-gravity type craft, uh, that's just going to be able to the gravity doesn't matter. But when we get to rockets, that's when gravity matters, because we have to have enough fuel in order to push them through that gravity. And so, so how, like, where are the bases in Antarctica where they are launching rockets from? Yes, but there's a lot of different reasons why Antarctica would be, <clears throat> I think, an essential place for this type of work. I mean, Wait, when we talk about photographs, what are these photographs? Sorry, Lindsay. 
in Rob, are these like real photographs they Photoshop? Is this Antarctica? This is the site that I found them on. It's a forum from nasaspaceflight.com where people put some of these photos. And these are these are actually flights taking off from Antarctica. You can see it at the bottom there. It There's says, an organization in France that manages the archives of the French polar territories, according to this. Well, looks like we have a whole new thing to look into. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think that this is just, I mean, this is just one of the, uh, to me, this seems like a, a completely surface, you know, rockets. I mean, think about it. If they have technology that's tracking exotic propulsion, they have ships that have exotic propulsion, most likely. But we're still talking about the best place on the planet to go to leave from. I mean, you know, you try doing this in America or anywhere else in the world where it's highly populated, people are going to see you. No one's allowed in Antarctica. Hardly anyone goes there. We're talking about 40,000 people a year that that even pass through Antarctica. So regardless of, of whether they're using rockets and they're honing in on some anti-gravity stuff or not, it's still the best place in the world to be doing any sure. of this stuff for different reasons, sure. right? With Eric Hecker, just to kind of bring it back, I'd like to hear what it is that you saw with like the exotic propulsion stuff, you know, and it, you know, this whole idea that we've got exotic propulsion systems, whether from this planet or not, and they discharge neutrinos. You looked into some of this, right? Yeah. So, okay. So, we were looking at specifically like what is the unstated intention of the ice cube right this whole facility <clears throat> and we had a lot of surface level stuff like the thing's almost like a big huge brain where where literally the the primary uh task of this is to receive those neutrinos and to decode them, understand where they came from, try and fit the pieces together between them. But the thing is so complicated that it, it like multitasks everything where there's something going on in one sector and then there's something totally different going on in another sector. They've got all the information on it and they're analyzing it. And these things are related to stuff that is happening in space on the surface level from um, outbursts of stars, from any type of natural phenomena in the universe so they can study. So there's a very legitimate top layer of scientific study that is happening at the neutrino, right? Or at the ice cube with the neutrinos. Very, very legitimate. Mm. And ultimately was, was, was brought online, at least by the scientists that ha uh, are on the surface level, to do just that. But because this technology is so broad not everybody knew what it ultimately could do. So as Hecker said, this thing transmits. So when they fire this thing up, it can produce this scalar type of energy and a resonance type of energy. And, and when we were looking at like, like, like what it can do, what potentially Christchurch, the earthquakes that he stated, this thing, it, it literally expands Bans energy so fast and creates resonant energy. Yes. Like that and a scalar type energy 
that they didn't really understand. Because of that, it was like too much power or too much focus on a specific frequency. It can literally cause objects to meld together. It could, it could absolutely cause disruptions. Just I'm listening to you talk and you're, you're talking about things melding together. And I'm thinking about the Philadelphia right. experiment. I'm just like, this is, this is right. taking it to the next level, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, so that was like something that was not understood when they initially turned this thing on, because like, that's with a lot of this stuff. It's like, they ultimately don't know all these side ramifications that are going to take place that are that are going to be more important than just detecting and decoding neutrinos, right? So, so that's why he says that it is a directed energy weapon because they can turn it on, add more power to it or, or shift a resonant frequency. Maybe it's like holding some DOMs at a lower power while others are at higher power, et cetera. They can control this stuff in order to create effects elsewhere on the earth or in the air or whatever. Now, the other side of this, like this is complicated stuff. Like, like the amount of things that this thing can do is complicated. The other side of this is yes, absolutely 100% communication. In fact, a lot of what we see in that area in general is literally geared towards communication. This whole area is like a big brain for different types of communication across the board. So when you when he talks about Gary McKinnon, you think about Gary McKinnon, you think about that craft that he saw, this would be one of those things that they would be communicating with in deep space. Well, what else though? Okay, we've got aliens. That's all there is to it. The military industrial complex has got aliens. They know them. They interact with them. These beings have given their hand-me-downs like an old pair of pants with holes in it to humans. Who do you think they're also communicating with off planet? They're communicating with these beings off planet. This is also in our data where the ones that are in alignment with the ones that are working this, they're in communication with them. And, and a lot of this stuff has been directed by those beings in order to communicate. So this thing goes way beyond, way, way, way beyond that surface level explanation, but not known by most of the people involved. And Hecker is putting the pieces together in a very good and interesting way. Wow. So why, okay, why this place for communication though? Is it because of the energy? Uh, is it because of the, like, is it the neutrinos itself? Are neutrinos special in some way? that they, well, you know, the, the thing with the neutrinos is that they've got to impact a particle in order to be measured to create the Cherenkov radiation effect, right? So a neutrino, when it impacts something that you can watch, you watch it impact it, there's where you get your information. So you've got like, I don't know how, how many, how many feet, kilometers, whatever of ice that they're, that they're measuring. Eventually, the neutrino is probably going to hit somewhere, some ice particle there as it goes through. And they've got their array set up so like they can capture all of it happening. 
So I think that's really what it comes down to is that, that that ice is what's important. The massive layer of ice is what's important. So the neutrino has something to hit eventually. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Just the, like the entire, you know, okay. Um, we're probably going to end this episode here and in our yeah, next episode. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the green lasers yet. Or exactly. The old exactly. In the next episode, we have to cover what the heck the screen laser is, what energy they're using to power all of this, and exactly what is the old pole, and and a little bit more into Eric Hecker's uh, uh, account of what's actually going on down there. Uh, so definitely uh, stay tuned for that. If you guys um, like this episode, please leave a comment below. Let us know what you think, uh, and also what you'd love to hear. Uh, you know, next. And uh, we'll definitely get to that. And John, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, yeah, we hope this you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. Mm -hmm.